Well, well, well. I want to take that graphic home and just put it over my mantle, just so my wife knows who's boss around the house. Hey, uh, my name is David. I serve on staff here, and uh, just so glad for all of you in this room, and then everyone watching online. We love you, everyone watching online. And then we always like to honor everyone who's worthy of honor, and we consider that to be people who put their comfort, safety, and even lives in, in place of others. And uh, that's our military and all of our first responders. The fact that you value other people more than yourself just deserves recognition. So every week we honor you, and today's no exception. Go church, can we honor those who serve military first responders? We're grateful for you. Also, if you're newer to us at any of our campuses, you may not know this, we're one church, multiple locations. And so we've got people tuning in from the west side of Atlanta. And I'm telling you, that's a rowdy bunch over there on the west side of Atlanta. They love Jesus. And so we love you on the west side. And then everyone up in Montgomery County, we love you guys as well. I'm actually gonna be traveling up there for your first Wednesday night of worship in about two weeks. And so uh, me, Esther, and Levi, you guys come on out there, meet us there and squeeze Levi's cheeks because they're really fat and it's awesome. So meet us there for first Wednesday, MoCo. We love all of you. Come on, go church. Can you welcome all of your extended family? Everyone watching, wherever you are. So I promise Pastor JC will be back here next week, okay? And if you brought a friend, just sorry. Okay, he'll be here next week, all right? So just keep coming, all right? It's the, but listen, God's word is God's word. No matter who's bringing it, if we're faithful to the word, then he's faithful to let it uh, just penetrate your heart and transform. And so that's what I'm praying for today. Uh, but Pastor JC is actually doing something that I'm actually gonna be preaching about, which is he's preaching to the next generation. Right now, uh, he's preaching at a youth conference called Winterfest up in New York and uh, seeing thousands of middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, come to know the Lord. And so aren't you grateful that our pastor uh, is so faithful with every platform that he gets? Can we just honor Pastor JC? Thank you, Pastor. We're proud of you. We're praying for you. Always grateful that you would give me the opportunity to preach as well, so thank you for that. Uh, I want to uh, dive right into the passage today and then, then I'll pray for us. Uh, what we're gonna be reading from is in Acts chapter 20. It's right in the middle of what's about to be Paul's third missionary journey he's taking. And it's just this seemingly odd interruption in the flow of all of his different travels. And uh, it's this event that, has always, the first time I heard and read this story, it just really jumped out at me. And I believe God has a word uh, for our church and frankly, for our world today. So let's read and then we'll unpack it. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20, verse seven. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. And seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground and from the third story was picked up dead, fell to the ground. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him and said, don't be alarmed, he's alive. <clears throat> then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate and after talking until daylight, he left. Last verse. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Let me pray for us today. Lord, my prayer today is that you would speak louder than me. I don't want any of my opinions or thoughts or agendas to come forth. Just want your word 
And uh, Lord, let it transform hearts. Let it transform the way we do ministry and see ministry being done. Awaken us, including myself. Awaken us to awaken the next generation. Show us how we've been sleeping on the fact that they're sleeping, God. May we empower them, may we equip them, and may we see them come back to life and stay in a personal and growing relationship with you. So show us all these things through your word only. Lead us today in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this is a, um, it's an interesting passage here, a, a, a crazy story. It's one of those like, if you were there, you really have a hard time explaining it to everyone else who was not there. And uh, I wanna give you some context today because everything we're gonna learn is gonna come from this passage. So every commentary I read, uh, they translate this Greek word young people to usually describe those between the ages of seven and 14 years old. So this boy Eutychus that falls out of a three-story apartment window and dies was about seven, maybe an elementary school or middle school age boy. And uh, I, I hope that the metaphor of where we're going with this is pretty obvious, but just in case it's not, let me tell you this. We are seeing today a generation that is hanging in the balance of falling out of church. And I'm not just talking about physically falling. I'm talking adopting a different worldview, adopting a different truth, a different virtue, a different reality, a different religion. I'm talking about rejecting the faith and falling away for it, which can ultimately lead to death. So it's a, it's a serious topic, and it's something that I want you to really lean in. If you are in the next generation, hang in there. If you have a parent, hang in there. If you're a grandparent and you think this is behind you, I want you to lean in here because uh, we're, we're seeing something that's, that's very concerning right now. I'm gonna put a statistic up on the screen. I, I love this quote by Mark Twain. He says, there are lies, there are dang lies, and then there's statistics, okay? And so he's trying to say basically you can't really trust any statistics. Uh, however, I want this to just raise some alarms. I wanna raise some awareness to you about what's going on, again, in our country, in our country, and especially amongst our, our churches, 65%, so they interviewed 100,000 uh, teenagers, okay? 65% of United States teenagers consider themselves a Christian, which I was actually surprised it was that high. So that was kind of a relief to me. And then I kept reading, but only 32% of them consider themselves a committed Christian. So what that means is that there is only 32% of the teenagers in America today that would say, yep, I am in a personal and growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which would also mean that 68% of the teenagers that are in our schools driving dangerously on the roads, right? They just got their permits. They, there are 68% of teenagers in our country today that are either about to fall out of church or are already living on the outside looking in. And I, I'm not here today to talk about doom and gloom. In fact, it's the opposite. But what I do want to do is rally us together because we have got to do something about this. Church, especially if you're a Christian, this should break your heart. This should be alarming. So it needs to alarm us not to just vent and complain, but it needs to alarm us to do something about it. So let's look at the passage because I think everything we need to do is found in these five verses. So verse seven, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread 
Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Now listen, who am I to come for my man Paul, okay? The greatest evangelist and church planter of all time. I, I'm not in like the same category as him, his boldness. I mean, he wrote two thirds of the New Testament. So I am not here today to bash Paul or his ministry whatsoever. However, I do just want to, this is what the text says. This isn't what David says, this is what the text says. He kept on talking until midnight and the only thing people remembered about it is that he kept on talking until midnight. Their notes that they were taking said, he kept on talking until midnight. If you're taking notes today and you leave here and the only thing you write down is, wow, David kept on talking, just kept on going, which I have been known to do uh, to my own demise. So that's what he did. He spent all that time and nobody really wrote down anything that he said. I'm not saying it wasn't important. I'm just saying they didn't remember it. And that's kind of my point today. So let me talk to all of our church leaders, our staff, our volunteers, and especially to every single parent in the room. Are we more concerned with everything that we want to say, or are we more concerned with how much of a difference it's actually making? Okay, because there's a big difference there. I know you've got all the answers to everything going on in the world, and if everyone did it exactly the way you said it, everything would be better, right? You've got all the insight and all the answers, and you are anxious to tell any young person willing to listen to you that you have all of those answers and everything like that. But maybe the messages that we're speaking, not, I'm not only talking about from platforms, I'm talking about in living rooms and around dinner tables with your kids, maybe the message is falling flat because you're having a whole lot of talking but not a lot of conversing, not a lot of dialogue. And so I'm gonna tell you a few things the next generation needs from us in order to see revival in that generation. And here's the first one. The next generation needs us to make conversation with them. They need us to make conversation with them. Again, I'm not saying that talking is wrong. I do it all the time. <laughs> I'm not saying that preaching is wrong. It's one of my favorite things to do. I'm not saying that conferences are bad because we do them and we do them really well and they have an impact. But what I am saying is that conferences can't do for young people what conversations can do for young people. If you would be willing to have some more conversations with young people, I think there's three benefits of that. The, the first one is this, it will help you gauge how much they're actually understanding from what you're saying, okay? When you're just talking at them, my wife does this to me all the time. I, I, uh, I don't know, guys, do not leave me here on an island, please. But I do tend to tune out every now and then. And so she'll only gauge me by saying, hey, you've got this like dumb look on your face. Are you listening to anything I just said? And then I'm like, yep. And she's like, what did I just say? And I'm like, you, yes, you said, you said really great stuff. It's, I couldn't even, it's indescribable what you said, right? I, I, would do, I wouldn't do it justice, Esther, if I told you what you said. And she's, she has to ask me so that she can make sure I'm engaged. If you're not asking questions, they're not gonna stay engaged or at least you're not gonna know whether or not they're even hearing and understanding what you're saying. I think another thing that's even better is that the more you have conversations with them, 
the more you'll be able to understand their worldview, okay? So if you can actually understand their worldview, no matter how annoyed you are with their worldview, which I'm gonna come back to that, but no matter how annoying their worldview is, if you don't understand it, how are you going to bridge the gap between their worldview to a Christian worldview? If you don't know their starting point, how can you map out where they need to go in order to get to Christ? You have to listen to them, understand their worldview, then build your ministry strategy to them based on where they're at so that you can show them where they need to go. But I think the best reason that you should have more conversations rather than just talking at them is it will actually, if you ask more questions, it will allow them to arrive at the answers on their own rather than you shoving it down their throats. And then what will happen is it will become their faith, not yours. And that's very important, church, because God does not have any grandchildren. He has children. You will not grandfather your children into the kingdom of heaven. They must accept Christ for themselves. It has got to become their faith, not yours. And in order for it to become their faith, if you want it to stick, then ask more questions that lead them, kind of one breadcrumb at a time, that lead them to the truth that that tomb that they put Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth in, that tomb is empty right now. He's real, he exists, he's not a fairy tale, he's real and he's risen and he wants relationship with them. So ask them questions to get them there instead of just shoving it down their throats all the time. I, I gotta confess something to you about the difference between preaching and conversations. I, I think people, because I'm young, I'll be 33 in about three weeks, three, four weeks here. And a, a lot of people say, are you nervous? You're about to preach, are you nervous? And I say, listen, I don't, like everyone's got their different things. Preaching does not make me nervous. In fact, it's, it's actually one of the easier things. And this is not a humble brag, because I'm about to get to what I actually struggle with. But what I'm saying is preaching is actually not very stressful for me because all I gotta do is really just study the word because I believe the word is a way better preacher than I am. So all I really gotta do is just get you to focus on the word and you don't get to interrupt me, okay? You don't get to ask questions. And if you do, our safety team is going to escort you out. If you try to heckle me, if you try to, they will escort you out. They're very strong, okay? So I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to really, when I'm preaching to you and I try to do this, but I don't know every emotion every emotional filter you're experiencing as I bring these words out. I'm just throwing this out there on a canvas and seeing what God's gonna do with all of your hearts. So the pressure is actually really low and uh, I, I enjoy it. What does make me nervous and genuinely like to the point where I, sometimes I have to like, I gotta pray before I sit down from that coffee table with one of you who's struggling with your faith. You got some real questions that you demand answers to and that's fair for you asking those questions. And I know that every single thing I say or don't say and every tone that I have or don't have is, it feels like eternity hanging in the balance. You can call me out, you can fact check me. You can get into emotions, which really will blur my thinking. I mean, conversations, this is difficult. This is way more difficult than preaching because you have a chance to interact. And so I wanna tell you this, I think the reason that a lot of parents and ministry leaders we settle for preaching, for talking, for yelling and screaming and Bible thumping. I think we do that because we actually know that's a lot easier than the patience and grace it takes to have a conversation with a young person who just isn't getting it. It takes patience. And so my question to you is this, are you willing 
to have the patience it takes to stop talking, start asking questions so that you can be more focused on the difference you're trying to make instead of the point you're trying to make because you can't have both. You can make a difference or you can make a point. It's either or, not both and. Let's keep going here. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. Little context here, no church buildings back then. This was a brand new thing. In fact, this is actually like the first time in recorded history in the Bible where a church was meeting together on a Sunday morning to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. That's why we meet together on Sundays today. So if you're from a theology where you're like mad about that, just blame Paul, he did it, not me, all right? We're just doing what he said, Sunday's revival, resurrection Sunday, we just do that. We go with what he says. So this is way before church buildings. They're meeting in a three-story apartment and it's packed and I love it. I'm an extrovert. I love just this. This feels good. I love when it's packed and there's nothing wrong with that. But whenever it's packed, uh, that's where there, things can start to fall through the cracks here. So my question is this. I'm not mad that it's packed and I'm not really mad at all, but I do have a question. Why is the preferential seating only for adults? Why, why do the young people have to sit in the window while the adults get primary seating, right? Why, why do we get to say, hey, you know, the most important thing about church on Sundays is what happens in this room, right, in this auditorium. And again, I'm not diminishing the ministry and the breakthrough that happens in here every Sunday. Don't hear what I'm not saying. All I'm saying is I think sometimes we only emphasize this. And it's like, yeah, you know, we'll drop the kids off for daycare and they'll babysit them for a little while. This, this is important. This is why we're coming here. Who cares what they're saying down there? Okay, great, they got an arts and crafts. Okay, we'll throw that away when we get home, right? Why, 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 is, why are the young people on the margins and on the periphery of our church focus? I, I'm telling you, it's dangerous. In fact, it goes against everything Jesus taught and the way he ministered. In Matthew 19, he tells us, let the little children come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You wanna, you wanna prevent the children from coming to me? You wanna put them in the windows? You're gonna miss out on actually me bringing heaven forth because I'm bringing it to them. And I'm telling you, revival in our nation, it's gonna, it's gonna start with those young people. So here's my, my prompt to you is this. The next generation needs us to make room for them. We gotta make room for them. And admittedly, look, this whole sermon, I'm making, there's only five verses on this story. I'm making a ton of assumptions and I, I just wanna acknowledge that about the church in Troas. So just, I don't know what all the context is historically, but I do think that this is a powerful metaphor for what's going on today. There's a sobering reality that's facing not only our nation, but the entire world as it relates to the next generation. And this is it. A church with no room for a generation that gets no rest should not expect that generation to remain in church for long, okay? Again, if we don't have room for a generation that cannot find rest, people, and I know your life was hard when you were a teenager and you know, the uphill both ways and a foot of snow, like I, I know, no one's had it as hard as you. Okay, we, we get you. You don't have it as hard as they do. You don't, you didn't have to grow up with this stuff that they're dealing with. That's the reason that this is the most depressed generation of all time, the most anxious generation of all time, the most confused generation of all time. They get no rest. There's no, they're exhausted. And then they show up to the one place where they should find not sleep, but heavenly peaceful rest. And they're shoved in the windows 
And on the periphery of, hey, one day, one day at church, wait your turn, buddy, wait. No, today we've got to make room for them. How dare we expect them to know how to fight through their restlessness, how to fight through their exhaustion and their sleep? We haven't equipped them to know how to fight their sleep because they don't have room in our gatherings. They don't have room in our, in our dining room tables for conversation. How can we expect them to know how to shake it off when they're tired listening to a sermon if we don't even make room for them? We didn't give them a seat, so why should we expect them not to sleep? Come on, church, we've gotta do better at this. So how do we make room for them? Because we want them to remain in church for a long time. So what are some things we need to do? Uh, a couple of things. One, we've got to have safe, spacious, and engaging environments at all of our campuses. Children, next generation, youth, young adults, they're not an afterthought to us. They've got, to, they've got to be the primary focus. We gotta reach them. I'm telling you, if anything, if we have to choose, uh, we gotta choose them, and they need environments where they can explore, learn, and ultimately grab a hold of their faith. And last year, we emphasized that at our Montgomery County and Westside campus, and this year, we're doing that at this campus. We're about to break ground. In the month of May, we're breaking ground on a brand new kids' ministry facility. But listen, we're making room for them. We're making room for them, and you need to go back and watch Vision Sunday message from Pastor JC two weeks ago. He'll tell you the whole story. But we're making room for them, physical spaces. But we literally, at this campus, at our South Metro campus alone, we need you to help us make room, literally. They're gonna make this big on the screen for you. This is called a QR code. And if you don't know how to use this, just ask the youngest person near you. They'll show you what to do. But this QR code will take you to a sign-up form that you can help us to become a portable church for our kids' ministry. Because while we're breaking ground over there, we're gonna have kids' ministry in the gym. And everyone up in MoCo is laughing at you guys right now because they were portable for 10 years. And they're like, aha, now it's their turn to get a taste for the portable life. Every single Sunday, we're gonna need a team of people. Now look, don't if you're already serving on a team, don't abandon your team to jump on this one. But if you're not serving right now, and you want us to help, to help us make room for the next generation, we literally need you to help us make physical rooms every single Sunday in the gym. So you can sign up right here or go to the next steps table. If, you, if QR codes stress you out, I get it. They stress me out too. Like at restaurants, like give me the, give me the menu. Like let's quit toying around with these QR codes. So if you want that, just go to the next steps table, say, hey, I wanna help make room while we're in a portable phase. Again, that's about mid-May. So go ahead and sign up for that. Now, I'm not ignoring you, Westside. Westside, uh, Pastor Lisa, Pastor Marcus, they wanna meet with you, they wanna talk with you. If you've got a heart for the next generation, this QR code will take you to the Move Track registration link. Sign up for it, go meet them. In fact, even if you don't wanna deal with this, just show up at the end of the gathering, they'll take you through everything you need to do. Go through Move Track. Same instruction for MoCo, Montgomery County. Uh, this is a Move Track registration link, scan it. Go to Move Track. It takes place after your second gathering, your 11 a.m. gathering. When that ends, meet Pastor Eric in the lower level. Tell him you've got a heart for the next generation, and he'll tell you what your next steps are. But we've got to get in the game. We've got to make room for the next generation that right now they're sitting in windows. May, hopefully not literally, but who knows? Who knows what's going on in there, right? We've got to make room for our kids' ministry. We've got to make room for our kids. And the last thing I'll tell you is this, parents, if we're gonna make room, can you just, can you bring your kids to it? What if you made Sunday like a non-negotiable, right? Like what if Sunday wasn't, well, we're tired. Well, it's raining. Well, you know, we have basketball late, late at night. Come on. Like 
You want your kids to grow up in a community of believers. You want them to grow up with this. Let them have friends. Let them raise up in kids ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry. Let them do life with some people that can help them grow in their faith. So let's make room for the next generation. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground. And what I wanna tell you here is this. There's a progression in these two phrases right here that I've got highlighted in yellow. He was sinking right here, and then he was sound asleep. In other words, if anyone in the room would have just glanced over at this kid during this moment here, then death could have been avoided. He didn't have to fall out of that window. If anyone would have just glanced in his general direction, they would have seen the potential danger in this situation. And then finally, he fell sound asleep. Nobody noticed. He's falling asleep in church, and maybe, maybe some of you fall asleep right now, so that's okay. Good night, all right, sweet dream. I'll try to keep it down for you. But he fell, he fell asleep during church, but I think a generation is, is falling asleep to the word of God. They're falling asleep to it. And so what do they need from us? You are not the Holy Spirit, and you don't need to be the Holy Spirit, but what you do need to do is this. The next generation needs us to monitor their engagement with God's word. Again, you, can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. You cannot save them. But what you can do is nudge them along the way. The Greek word uh, that was used for this sound asleep is the Greek word hypnos, which is where we get the word hypnotize. So, and again, I'm trying not to read too much into this, but let me just say this point because it's true. The less that Eutychus listened to the word of God being preached, the more hypnotized he became. Because you know this as well as I do. You don't have emptiness in your brain. You're either filling it with God's word or you're filling it with something else. And if you're not filling it with God's word, you will be lulled into hypnosis by the master liar. I mean the devil, you give him his due. He can whisper a really good lie. He knows what to say to get you to lull right into that sleep and you don't even realize it. You don't even realize when you're sinking, the more deep into sleep you get, the less you realize that you're falling asleep. And that's the way that it works. He's hypnotizing the next generation. We've got to monitor them. Now, I, uh, I was blessed this, this past year uh, to be able to have an executive assistant and uh, she's done a great job for me. And uh, we were talking about Shark Tank and just different inventions that we've had and she shared one with me and immediately I was like, ooh, that'll preach. So, so I texted her yesterday, I was like, hey, is it okay if I share your invention? Like people might steal it if they like it enough. And so she said, it's fine. Just give her like an honorarium if you steal it and you know, like Cuban picks it up and you just make millions of dollars. But she said this, she said, okay, now admittedly, this is a first world problem, okay? So I wanna acknowledge that. I was like, okay, let's, let's hear your first world problem. She said, okay, well, I have a pool. And I love to just kind of lay out, relax on my pool floaty. And sometimes I fall asleep when I'm on that floaty. She said, well, we have a little like waterfall in our pool. And one day I fell asleep and I drifted all the way into the waterfall. And I was awakened by just a gush of water like in my face and I was freaking out. And she said, so then I thought, wouldn't it be great if I had like a little floaty anchor that kept me in the center of my pool so that I wouldn't drift into the waterfall whenever I fell asleep. And I was like, hey, 
That's good. That'll preach. I think you know where I'm going here with this. Our kids are living in a world, and listen, not just our kids, all of us. You need this too, but I'm talking specifically for next generation. We are living in a fallen world. And so do you know what that means? That means there are waves crashing constantly. What is moral today, 10 years from now, is gonna get you canceled. The beliefs you hold today are going to be embarrassing to your children 10 years from now. And then 20 years from now, those views 10 years from now are gonna be embarrassing that they thought it was embarrassing. And the needle is gonna keep moving over and over and culture says, this is offensive. No, this is offensive. No, this is what good people do. No, this is what good people do. And it's constantly back and forth and it's a hurricane. And if there's no anchor for our soul, we will drift away. And that's why we say as a young person, I'll never do this. And then 20 years down the road, how did I get here? It's because there was no anchor. There was nothing keeping you centered when the world was throwing waves back and forth. You've got to monitor their engagement with the word because it's the anchor for their soul. Not because Christianity's better than everybody else. It's because it's the only thing that's true. We've got to have something that's true. If everything is subjective, we're gonna be thrust around all over the place and you strap on probably the heaviest burden that any young person could have where it's saying, hey, construct your reality. Go build your reality while navigating puberty and bullying and brace face and all of these different things that you're going through. Go ahead and just construct an entire reality out of the cosmos. What? That's the dumbest advice I've ever heard in my life. Don't build your own truth. That is a burden that nobody, and especially a, a, a prepubescent boy should be able to do. Come on, anchor to the truth. There is one thing and one, one who is true. His name is Jesus Christ. We need an anchor for our soul. Everything should be measured to that. Is it alignment with God's word? Yes, then all right, I'm in. If it's not, then it's not true and I should reject it. We need that. And all you've gotta do is monitor their engagement with God's word, nudge them a little bit, bring the truth, ask questions when they say they have a worldview that's not in alignment with scripture. How'd you get to that? Well, tell me about that. And just help ask questions that lead them to the truth that, that that's leading to nowhere, that that's nonsense that leads to nowhere. All right, next verse. Seated in a window, a young man named Eutychus sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and he was picked up dead. Picked up dead. I, um, I recently became a dad and I have read this story so much different. And you know what it's like when you became a parent for the first time, just the world starts looking a little bit different. And I, I've preached this before, but I've never seen it from this perspective. Um, this was a dangerous situation. I don't know if you realize that. Uh, parents, I I'm just wondering like, where were the parents in the room that, spot, that could spot the danger in this situation? I mean, I get stressed out when I'll watch like YouTube videos of these crazy white people sitting on top of like really high mountains with like no harness or tall buildings. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I'm sweating. I look at how far down that, like my palms start sweating. I need like deodorant. Like I'm just stressing me out right now with what you're doing. Where is that for like the children and the youth? I mean, man, my little boy, Levi, he is, he's crawling now. And I'm just heightened to like, just everything is dangerous now. 
I mean, walk in the kitchen, he's got dog food in his hand. I don't know if he ate any, I really hope he didn't. So far, so good. Like power cords and outlets and just stuff. Like there's just stuff everywhere. Everything is a threat all the time. And I think I'm saying all that to say this, like where were the parents here? Like, why aren't we spotting the danger in this situation? Because look, truthfully, and I say all that in jest, but this is just true. What is on the other side of that window of that church and what's on the other side of of the church, not the people, but like the body of Christ, it's death. Death is the only thing on the outside of that door. So what do they need from us? We've got to expose the danger outside of the church. We've got to, we've got to talk about it. Now, I want to just put this out there because I'm not taking us in this direction. I wanna go ahead and say it now. I'm not saying that you need to go to Costco, buy all the canned goods you can, build yourself a little bunker and just hunker down until this thing passes over. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, that is antithetical to the gospel. Jesus says you're the salt and the light of the earth. So don't hide away in your little Christian clubs. Like get out there and be the salt that's meant to preserve this decaying world. Get out there and bring light to this really dark world. Don't hide away in your little your groups where it's all your people that see everything the same way you do. And, and on social media, you've got your safe little echo chamber where everyone's agreeing with you all the time. Stop that. That's not what I'm saying at all about the dangers outside of there. What I am saying is this. This has to be preached more. It is a very narrow road that leads to life, and it is a very broad road that leads to destruction. It is such a narrow way to life that there is only one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. And every other way is death. Everything else outside of the window of church will lead to a spiritual death. If we aren't careful with it, our children, our teenagers, and even our adults will fall out of that window. We've got to make sure everyone knows that it is one way and everything else is danger and ultimately it's death. So let me preach to the young people in the room, the young people at our other campuses watching online. I'm begging you and I'm gonna tell you four things, four of the, the biggest lies that I hear about when I talk to you that I, don't, I want you to stop believing. In fact, even if you're an adult and you're buying into these, you need to, you need to turn away right now. Number one is this. I said this already, but all roads do not lead to God. They don't. So quit messing around with Buddhism. Quit messing around with the horoscopes. Quit messing around with the other religions. I know you think, and I get it. I know you think it's the right thing to do, but it will lead to death. There is only one truth. Everything cannot be true. There is only one truth, and it's Jesus. The only way to the Father. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the only way. You gotta just, gosh, you just gotta know that. Another thing that I think the enemy's trying to, a voice outside the window that's trying to lure you outside that window is that your feelings are always true. That if you feel it, it must be true. Leads to death, guys, it leads to death. Now listen, I'm not saying that your feelings don't matter and I'm not saying that your feelings aren't real. Your feelings are real and, and you should be listened to and we need to, listen, we need to do a better job of listening to you because your feelings do matter, but they're not true. In fact, I would tell you this, they're rarely true. Like rarely are your feelings true. You've got to have something more true than your feelings and that's the anchor for your soul. And again, it's Jesus. Another lie I see luring the next generation out of the windows of the church is pain and suffering. So listen, if you're hurt, 
young people, pain and suffering is a part of the fallen world. And I know it's hard and I know you got questions, I get it. And I would preach a whole sermon on this if I had time to, but I just need to tell you this, it will not help you or comfort you to reject Christianity when you are in the midst of pain and suffering because there is no better worldview to equip you with the tools of how to deal with pain and suffering than Christianity because it's the only worldview, it's the only religion where the God who made everything subjected himself to pain and suffering. The worst thing you could do is abandon God when pain and suffering comes. Don't fall out that window. It's a lie, it's a trap. And then the last, the last thing I hear luring our young people out of the window is this, that the problem with the world, the, the bad things going on in the world, it's all, of, it's all out there, right? It's all of these groups of people. It's this political party. It's this race of people. It's this ideology. It's this, no, no, no. Hear me, young people and everybody. The problem with the world is not all those people out there. The problem with the world is the sin that's right here in this preacher's heart. Like, it's here. The line dividing good and evil is going through every single human heart. Every human heart has a propensity to do really evil, and every human heart has the propensity to do really, really good. So do not be lured out the windows of a church by creating this false binary of everyone is either a victim or a villain. That's not true. It's way more complex than that. You are more complex than that. You don't have to be either one, nor does everybody else. Sin is the issue, not people. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. So here we go. Message ends, young boy falls out of a roof. Message over, or is it? Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Now to every skeptic, who's listening to this and saying, well, he probably just had a concussion. You know, this probably wasn't, no, no. This is an undeniable miracle. This is death to life. Levi was a physician, or uh, Luke was a physician. He's a doctor. He knows the difference between a concussion and death. This is death and resurrection to life, undeniable miracle. But my point that I'm about to tell you is not that resurrection took place. It's actually what God used to bring about that resurrection that really sticks out to me. Notice what happens before the resurrection takes place. Paul went down. He threw himself on the young man. He put his arms around him and then he spoke life over him and then the boy was raised to life. So what does the next generation need from us? They need us to embrace them right where they are, to meet them right where they all are. Paul went down to Eutychus. He didn't stand up there and be like, oh, look at this, another young person falling out of the church. Well, come on, let this gener let's be done with this generation. How embarrassing. Pick yourself up, Eutychus. Don't be such a snowflake. Don't be such a baby. Man up, grow up, get a job. All these things. He didn't do any of that. He said, hey, I'll stop what I'm doing because what I'm doing is less important than the situation that this young person has fallen into. So I'm gonna go down and listen, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He wasn't stand, standing up in heaven next to God saying, okay, wow, we created this garden and everything was good and then you ruined it. Figure it out, humanity. Make your way out. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Be better, do better. 
He didn't say any of that. He came down to earth, took on the very nature of a servant, took our death, gave us his life. He went down to us and met us where we are. So who do we think we are to stand up on our high horse and say that that generation isn't worthy? They are worthy of the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you don't wanna get off of your high horse and go tell them that, then you need to be quiet and let other people do it because they need to know that, that no matter what situation they're in right now, no matter how much death surrounds them in the inside and out, that there is a God who loves them. Go down to them, meet them where they are, tell them how valuable they are to Christ and love them to life. This boy, not only did Paul go down to him, but it says he threw his arms around him. Might've been the best part of his sermon that he had that whole day. Cause that boy didn't come to life because of the preaching. He came to life because someone got down on his level, just hugged him. Parents, it's not that complicated. It's really not, just love them. I know you're mad about the situation they're in and you probably should be mad. You wouldn't be a loving parent if you're not mad. You've got to be mad about the sin that's entangling all of us. You should be mad, but come on. Don't wait for them to start behaving before you love them. Love them to life, not love them once they come to life. Love them to life. Get down there, wrap your arms around them. And I bet you this, don't wait for the feeling do it and the feeling will come, life will come from that. And finally, I see this, that, that Paul spoke life. He said, don't be alarmed, he's alive. Now I've had to repent and search my heart of this because I get pretty negative and cynical about the future and uh, I've had to repent of this, but I wanna tell you this, enough with the doomsday for this next generation. I'm telling you, and I'm inviting anyone around me to hold me accountable to this, and I want you to repent and be convicted of this as well if you've fallen into this. Enough, enough with the doomsday for the next generation. It's time to speak life over them. I'm here today to claim these promises that Paul said right here. Don't be alarmed. He's alive. Don't be alarmed, church. This next generation is alive. There's breath in them. We had over 200 children last year alone at this campus alone that gave their life to Christ. There is life in this next generation. And I believe they can see a revival that we've actually never had. And it's gonna be way better than emotional hype. It's gonna be way better than loud church services. It's gonna be people living out the gospel in the truest, realest way possible. There's life and the next generation. You need to start speaking life in the dead places. That's what God did for us. That's what we should do for them. Here we go. I got two more things to say, then I'll get you out of here. The next generation needs us to embrace them right where they are. And then this, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. It doesn't say his parents. It doesn't say his family. It says the people the people of that church took the young man home alive. All of them said, you know what? We're his family. We need to be his family. And that's what the next generation needs from us. They need us to be their family. I, I talked to, uh, let, let me talk to a couple groups of people. Let me talk to the parents here. Parents, I'm really not trying to talk down. And again, if we were at coffee, I wouldn't be so intense. So I'm sorry. But I do wanna tell you this, I interviewed uh, a social worker one time and she told me that 70% of her clients wouldn't need therapy if they just believed that their parents actually loved them or cared about them, 70%. She, 
She said, 70% of them, all they wanna know is that their mom cares. All they wanna know is that their dad cares. They're well aware of all the things that they do wrong. They're well of how much of a screw up they are to their parents, but they're not actually sure that they love you. I, man, come on, parents. We gotta, we gotta do better. We gotta do better. They need to know that you're there for them. I'm not saying compromise on truth. There is a way and there is a truth. There is a life. His name is Jesus. I'm not saying com compromise on that. But what I am saying is, come on, make sure they know that you care about them. You can embrace them right where they are, even when they're frustrating you, even when they're so aggravating. Come on, love them through it. Now let me talk to the church community. Another statistic for you. You won't see it on the screen. Same group, Barna Group. They do a lot of research and studies about churches and engagement. They asked 100,000 individuals from age 18 to 35 if they believed that their church community cared for them. 100,000. 14% of people from ages 18 to 35, that's young adults, believe that their church family actually cares about them. 14%? Like, are you kidding me right now? And this is Christians that are going to church that don't actually believe that anyone older than them actually cares about them. You gotta let that hit you however it needs to, but that's bad. That should not be described for our church. And I, I don't believe that that's a description for Go Church, but we gotta fight against that constantly. Don't you stay frustrated at the younger generations. You go down to them, you meet them where they're at. So this is, uh, let me, I gotta fly through this. Last, last thing here I gotta tell you is this. Join a group. If you wanna be family to younger people, if you wanna have a church family, we launch groups today. Today, groups launch. If your group's meeting on a Sunday, they're gonna meet today. You should sign up. Again, we got a QR code at the bottom left of that screen here. If you wanna be a church family to people that are hurting, you've got to be in a group. I don't, I don't know how many times we have to preach this and beg you to do it. Get in groups, because this is where real discipleship is taking place, is in small groups. Last thing I wanna tell you is this, because up to this point, it's really just a good advice for how to help the next generation. But the best thing is this, what does the next generation need from us? They need us to show them that only Christ is their true savior. Don't be getting a hero complex on me now. Don't be going into this thing saying that you're the answer. Mom, dad, you're not the answer. You can bring the answer. You're a vessel of the answer, but you are not their solution. You're not their hope. Pastor, church leader, church volunteer, you're not the answer. You just have access to the answer. Don't be a hero here. Only Christ can save us from their sins. I've witnessed it from people I grew up right here in this church with, that they loved their church. They stayed in church. They loved church. But because they didn't have a personal and growing relationship with Jesus Christ, they don't believe in him anymore. Because all they did was they fell in love with churches, with their preferences, with their style of music, with this, with that, with the other. And when all of those things faded away, they were left with nothing. Let me tell you this, maybe that's the reason adults, we love our preferences so much and that we fight for the preferences rather than fighting for the next generation because we're really in love with our preferences and not with the gospel. And we've got to make sure they know only Christ can save us. Why? Why do we know this? Because this story is a physical representation of the gospel. We, as humanity, in the garden, in community with God, fell away, fell into our sins, fell into certain death, 
God sent his son Jesus to step down into the midst of our death, took on our sin, raised us up to new life, and now calls us family. So why do we need to show them that Christ is their true savior? Because we, well, here we go, make conversation with them. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. How do we need to make room for them? The same way that Jesus Christ made room for us. Why should we monitor their engagement with God's word? Because Jesus Christ is the word of God. Expose them to the danger outside of the church, but also let them know Jesus overcame it. He took on the danger and he took on the death so they don't have to fear it. They just have to be aware of it. He embraced us right where they are and he calls us family. This is the gospel. And so my invitation to you as I close is this. Do you have this hope? Come on, young people, and maybe not even young people, maybe people that are adults. Are you uh, on the outside of church looking in? Have you recognized you're dead in your sin? Maybe you're, you're teetering on the brink of your faith right now. And, and it, it would only take one more, one more bit of hypnosis, one more lie from the enemy, and you could fall out. But you know it's time to run back to the Savior. He's meeting you here. He's waiting for you. If you need resurrection from death to life, if you wanna make Jesus Christ the savior of your life, I'm gonna invite you to let us know. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're in here and you're ready to give your life over to Christ, you admit that you're dead in your sin, you believe that he did everything he said he did, that he took on that cross, rose again, and that you would only commit your life to him today. If that's you, I invite you to raise your hand up, hold it for just a second, and then you can put it back down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. You can put those hands down and all across this place. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we come before you right now, dead in our sins, no way out, except for you to meet us at the point of our death, God. I pray that you would embolden us, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit to follow after you all the days of our life. We believe in you, we confess our sin, we commit our life to you, God, and make all of us collectively as a church eager to meet every generation, but especially young people at the point of their need. Let us be a church that makes room for the next generation and rescues those who have fallen away. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank the Lord for the three people that just raised their hand to give their life to Christ.